0: And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually, at Contrarian Alex for myself, and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O.
1: Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for contrarian's corner for little miss sunshine
0: hello and welcome back to the contrarian summer road trip we are on the road once again continuing on the road i should say as we are here to visit the 2006 indie darling that somehow conned its way into a best picture nominee and that would be little miss sunshine i didn't catch i don't remember who got the top billing it would have
1: been
0: kinere i'm pretty sure it was Kinnear i mean rightfully so in
1: our hearts and <laughs> on the screen
0: uh little miss sunshine directed by the duo i believe they're a married couple jonathan dayton and valerie ferris written by michael Arndt, who went on to write several other alleged masterpieces in this time
1: toy story 3
0: toy story 3 uh oblivion the hunger games catching fire nah And uh, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens.
1: Oh, he's got like a credit, but I didn't think that. I didn't think that he. Did the lion share the word? (laughs) Well, no. I think I thought that he. They started with him, and then at some point, he was just. It wasn't working out, so he stepped out, or he was asked to step out.
0: I I don't really remember. I like that movie, and in most circles, that makes me, you know, a martyr of sorts. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, continuing on with the Contrarian Summer Road Trip. We visited the Guilt Trip with our previous episode. Had that little, uh, detour there with our bonus episode with, uh, Why Do I Own This? I hope y'all enjoyed that. It's a pit stop. It was a pit stop. Huli and I enjoyed recording that and subsequently, uh, listening back to it. It's one of those things we weren't really in gimmick doing it, so listening back to it, it's like, oh, this was actually pretty funny. But traveling back to 2006 today for the 91% rated on Rotten Tomatoes, Little Miss Sunshine... Uh, if this is your first time listening to the Contrarians podcast, as always, we do appreciate it, uh, just to kind of give you a breakdown of what it is we do here for the first portion known as Contrarians Corner. We find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is ranked very high with a juicy red tomato or very low with a nasty green splotch and make a counter argument for it. So with Little Miss Sunshine being at 91%, we're going to bring it down a peg. We're going to, we're going to treat it like it
1: was a rotten movie. (laughs) rotten stinky leg of the road trip
0: that it it, it was the guilt trip of its day
1: <laughs> uh if you want to know how we really feel about the movie just stick around for the second part of the show uh real talk where we tell you how we really feel
0: yes, <laughs> yes it's in do. the title <laughs> <laughs> being that 71 though the critics were fucking fawning over themselves for this so what were they saying julio
1: Got three fresh quotes from Rotten Tomatoes, uh, starting with Betsy Bozek from Common Sense Media, who says, "Right along to dysfunction in quirky indie comedy. Uh Amber Wilkinson from I for Film says writer Michael Arndt has cleverly captured the bribery and corruption which lie at the heart of most families. <laughs> Your face is like Yes. <laughs> and Finally, Matthew Lucas from The Dispatch, Lexington, North Carolina, says, Like a little ray of sunshine in a world of bland, boring, reheated movies that clog up the arteries of our nation's theaters.
0: Man, <laughs> is that dated? Does it have a date on it?
1: I'm assuming it's it's opening weekend, but...
0: That was, uh, I'd like to see what he, how what he, he reviews th- movies currently. <laughs> <laughs> Not favorably, I'd imagine.
1: Does he still use the word, uh, the words ray of sunshine
0: <laughs> and artery clogging? So we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We are centered on the Hoover family, helmed by Richard Hoover, played by Greg Kinnear, his significant other, Cheryl Hoover, played by Tony Collette, Cheryl's brother, Frank Ginsburg, played by Steve Carell, who we'll get into the second half about what his star power was looking like when we went into this.
1: But what is he looking like? Uh, as the movie opens, Alex.
0: Gaunt and bearded. It's not the Steve Carell that you want. It is not Michael Scott.
1: It's not Michael Scott. I mean, this at this point, if you sit down to watch a Steve Carell movie, you know, in the year 2019, there's two types of Steve Carell movies there's the the award bait movies. There, you, you know, you're out. Uh, there's Foxcatcher. <laughs> exactly. And there's
0: Dinner for Schmucks.
1: <laughs> exactly. This is some weird hybrid where. He's going for an Oscar, but he's also, you know, having jokes about buying porn at a gas station. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's that weird. Just make up your mind. But, of course, you could say the same about the movie in general.
0: Richard and Cheryl's son, Dwayne Hoover, played by Paul Dano, who I couldn't believe this is his first appearance on the podcast for how often we do reference the people's champion, Paul Dano.
1: Uh, It was was long overdue, and uh, he didn't come to us. We had to go to him. In this road trip.
0: (laughs) Uh, Olive Hooper, played by the breakout star of this film, Abigail Breslin, uh, their daughter. And then, of course, Grandpa. The dad to Richard, Edwin Hoover, played by Alan Arkin, who subsequently won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in this. They are, if nothing else, a highly dysfunctional family made of extremely cliche archetypes. Yeah,
1: I mean, you can tell how The grandpa that snorts
0: heroin? I mean, come on. (laughs) We've seen this before.
1: And and not just... He's not just the grandpa this North heroin. And then other than that, he's just like your regular grandpa. He has to be dialed up to 11. So he's like always talking about his sex life and just dropping the F bomb in front of the girl. He was Archie
0: Bunker for a 2006 <laughs> crowd.
1: Uh, you can tell how unsubtle this movie is from the very beginning because, uh, Greconier's character's name is Richard. And of course, he's a total dick. Mm-hmm. That, that's the level of, uh, of, craft that you're dealing with right here michael aren't far from his star wars seven (laughs) days
0: contributions
1: yeah uh this is just in that opening scene where you get i think like 10 seconds with each character as you, you know just throw them at you and it's just they portray in the most unflattering possible way uh old people gay people moms
0: emo kids
1: emo kids motivational speakers Basically, they just they hit all the bases of like, hey, awards bait, and also just pretentious art house film.
0: What we do establish is that Steve Carell, uh, Frank's character, tried to kill himself and Cheryl's on his way uh, on her way, excuse me, to visit him in the hospital. We get clips of Olive watching uh, beauty pageants reactions, basically timing what she's going to look like if she wins the pageant she's in Uh, sparsely populated motivational speech given by Richard about his, you know, twelve, nine, eleven, whatever step program and Alan Argin just fucking riding the line. <laughs> it's a dysfunctional family that gathers around the table for some KFC for dinner. Uh, and we get Michael Scott trying to explain how he killed himself to a seven-year-old child. It's extremely disconcerting. And it's that-
1: it, this is built as a comedy. Yes, I mean it's shot as a comedy. It has the the comedic beats as far as the pauses, right? It has comedic actors, you know, Greg Kinnear from comedies, mm-hmm. Uh Alan Arkin, of course, you know. He was not M.A.S.H. I don't know. <laughs> Tony Collette wasn't that great comedy, The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Actually, Muriel's Wedding, I guess, that was a comedy. But anyway, it's so when you're watching it, you're like, this feels like a comedy. I feel like I should be laughing. But then it's really 90 minutes or so of child abuse. Mm-hmm. This little girl is getting traumatized relentlessly. Her father puts so much pressure on her. Her mom lets it all happen. Her grandpa projects his sexual fantasies on her. Her brother ignores her, and now her uncle is explaining suicide to her.
0: Not only that, but also broaching the subject of uh, you know homosexuality and love. More importantly, <laughs> right?
1: It's it, he doesn't even broach it. It's just so responsible. He kind of like drops it and then never goes any further. You know, he goes, "I was in love with a boy," and she's like, "That's silly," and then he doesn't elaborate. He just he just leaves it at that's silly. I was. Either you have the talk or you just don't have the talk, but don't, you know, start the talk and then
0: leave Greg Kinnear and Tony Collette to scramble. As Jerry Seinfeld would say, that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. (laughs) Uh, He explains that he fell in love with one of his grad students, but then the student fell in love with his rival professor at the school he taught at. Uh, Then he got fired. Yeah. Maintains he quit, but. This all leads to a voicemail. Uh, Olive is a local competitor in the beauty pageant circuit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And through a happenstance series, she is entered into Little Miss Sunshine pageant in Redondo Beach, California.
1: Right. So she was she was a runner-up, and then something happened to the girl that was first place. And uh, she probably OD'd on cocaine or something.
0: <laughs> uh Fuck, I can't remember the beauty pageant in The Simpsons, but the thing that happens to her is her her scepter gets struck by lightning and (laughs) takes her out. So the family goes into total meltdown over this news as it was promised to Olive if she made it, they would take her to Redondo Beach. They can't afford plane tickets. You know, know, they don't trust her ability or Tony Collette's ability to get out there and then she'll have to rent a car and go through all this. Because she's a woman? (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, just judging by the way Kinnear... Greg Kinnear's demeanor of completely belittling women constantly, you know.
1: And old people and gay men. Anybody that's not just your average white person, I think.
0: (laughs) So they make the vow. You know, it's like the scene in Huck Finn with uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas where they all cut their f- palms and all go in in the middle to agree to it. They make the agreement they'll do it as a family. The last holdout is, of course, uh, Paul Dano, the emo kid, who doesn't want to do anything with his family.
1: He doesn't even want to talk. That's how emo he is.
0: Yeah, he's gone on a vow of silence until he's able to become a fighter pilot. Or, uh... Yeah,
1: he wants to fly. Yeah. Uh, this is. It's also really weird, once again, going through the way that the form... If this movie doesn't match its content because it's shot like a triumphant moment, right? When the family's been arguing about what they're going to do and they finally, they come together and Kinnear ends up proclaiming, we're going to California and then off we go, right? But what precedes this is him basically putting all this pressure on on the little girl, on Abigail Bresling. And he's like, we're not going to go if you're not going to win. So are you going to (laughs) win? And she says, yes that's not that's not triumphant. That should be shot like a thriller. That should mm-hmm. be shot with really weird crooked angles on Kinnear's face, and then you shoot uh, Olive from the top, just her feeling intimidated and and the lightning and something. but but no, instead, it's just like, yay.
0: So the road trip commences. They have this old v w bus uh, that's yellow. looks fantastic. And they venture on the road. Redondo Beach, California, on their road trip. The first stop we get is at a makeshift Denny's, you know, the iron skillet, something along those lines, a a truck stop, as it were. It's the
1: kettle, you know, when you can't go to Denny's, you go to the kettle.
0: You know, it's discount food too, because Tony Collette sets the bar at four dollars. Says anything under four dollars. It's like, what are you getting? A drink? And then, Greg Kinnear fucking fat shames Abigail Breslin.
1: Dude, it's just... And again, it's played as comedy. The the way that it's shot and with the constant like, cuts to the reactions of, of you know everybody. It should be... The movie wants you to laugh, but really you're just squirming. It's just so gross.
0: Essentially, she wants to order waffles a la modi with ice cream. And he's just going on about how fattening ice cream is and how skinny people don't eat it and supermodels don't eat it.
1: it it he manipulates her at least temporarily into not wanting the ice cream and then the rest of the family kind of talks her into it again but so i mean we're maybe 10 15 minutes the movie we're already on the road but my main question now i can't focus on anything else because my main question is why is tony collette with this guy she seems to be sick of the shit yeah from the beginning you haven't had a single moment where they're happy where they look like a happy couple. And it's not like he's successful or anything because from the very beginning we can see that he's struggling to sell his his uh his plan, his nine step you know winners program. versus
0: losers bullshit. Yeah. yeah.
1: So so why is she with him? I understand why he is with her. Because I mean in every movie, but especially in this movie, she's like super hot. Mm-hmm. So I can I can see how Kinnear, he may be like she doesn't respect me and she she always looks at me like she hates me. But she looks great, so, <laughs> but he's always wearing shorts.
0: <laughs> I don't
1: even see why you know the sex must be amazing <laughs> for for that couple to just still be together.
0: Well, we find out later in the movie too that she's divorced from a previous relationship, and you know, oh, so she's just determined to make this one work, yeah, or she's just in a bad place, one or the other. you never know. uh the road trip carries on after the bout of reverse psychology where the rest of the family tricks. Olive and, and not tricks, but just kind of helps her into eating her ice cream. Road trip carries on. The gear shift goes out, as one of the big points of contention early about uh, Tony Collette driving the bus was that it's a, a stick shift that she doesn't know how to maneuver. That so Greg Kinnear has been driving up until this point. The gear shift goes out. The local mechanic and wherever the fuck they are, the middle of nowhere, explains it would be a few days before they can get it. They're on a very tight timeline. But he also explains going from third to fourth gear doesn't require any shifting, so as long as they can get it up to that point.
1: This is uh, the role that today would be played by Anthony Michael Key.
0: Anthony Anderson.
1: Anthony Anderson.
0: Okay. Not Josh Gad. No, Josh Gad would be the sound guy at the beauty pageant that we'll get to a bit later. Or the DMC. The oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's more his uh, <laughs> his speed. But they figure out that, hey, if we all get behind the van and push it into a rolling start, we'll be able to jump into it. We go from the scene of this man traumatizing this child on weight gain to this comedic thing of Steve Carell and Paul Dano pushing a van. Totally inconsistent, to say the least. It
1: happens every time. And there's even this – that's what I understand. And I think that the movie may be trying to make the point that, well, this is family, right? You have your bad times and you have your good times and that's why – one scene, we have Kinnear being really horrible to his daughter. And then the next scene, they're laughing because they managed to get the van going. And now Kinnear is going like, no one's left behind. And it, it it doesn't work. You need you need some transitions. You can't just give me the whiplash like that, especially on a road trip.
0: Carry on down the road. Get to a, our next eventual pit stop. We keep hearing about this elusive Stan Grossman throughout the film, who is apparently the gentleman who bought Greg Kinnear's book. And was going to sell it,
1: right? He's the guy that's—is he an agent or is he a publisher? Well, he's not a publisher because he's basically trying to sell it to other people. Based on
0: the hair and beard that he has, I I would say he's an agent.
1: (laughs) He looks like an agent.
0: So. The whole story of Greg Kinnear is he's consistently trying to get in touch with this Stan Grossman character. Richard is wanting to know exactly, you know, what's going on with his book. That tracks
1: because agents will never call you back, so that
0: (laughs) that makes sense. His self help book. He finally gets a hold of him at a a gas station. That's right because he calls him and the uh, the signal cuts out, so he has to pull over. Right. So it's kind of a forced rest uh, rest stop. Gets on the phone and it's clears day immediately that this did not go off as it was anticipated even
1: though even to uh alan arkin who's stoned out of his mind he's like 30 feet away in the van
0: roughly 30 yards 30 feet away just says ah shit he didn't get it
1: (laughs) his shorts kind of like droop (laughs) oh no
0: (laughs) Uh, so to cheer him up, he hands over a crisp 20 to Steve Carell and <laughs> instructs him to go inside and buy some porn for him. <laughs> and it's only Alan Arkin can do it. I also delivers it. Yeah, Yeah, something nasty. I don't want any of that airbrush shit. <laughs> and then he tells Carell that he can buy some for himself, too. He can treat himself to a gay porno mag.
1: Yeah, and so... The, the the whole thing with Steve Carell is that he's depressed. He tried to kill himself, right? He was he's in the drum, so you never seen this smile. point. He
0: still has the bandages over. He just... has the
1: bandages through the entire movie. Okay, and uh, and yet for some reason, because this scene requires him to do this, uh well, you know, he gets over it. He goes to buy some porn at a gas station. It just doesn't it doesn't jive. You know, if you're depressed, you're depressed. You, you don't just perk up because somebody gave you a twenty to go buy some some nudies.
0: And he does perk up, and he's kind of, like, got a whole new moxie about himself. And He gets he, a slushie? He orders a, yeah, a blue raspberry slushie, and while he's doing all this, what are the fucking odds the student that he fell in love with is right behind him? California's
1: he, a really small place. Well, not California, I guess. The road from New Mexico to California. The whole
0: southeastern quadrant of the United <laughs> States is apparently a very, very small... Uh, restrictive place and yeah frank is there buying his copious amounts of porn in a blue slushy, and then this handsome young virile student frank
1: (laughs) he's not even it's not just him he's there with the guy that 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 he fell in love with with the rival with the rival professor
0: incredibly awkward and also just really it's a downer of a scene
1: yeah i mean talk about a movie that
0: pitches itself as a comedy
1: right because it's you get you get a minor laugh when you see Corell trying to hide the porno, and uh, you know the guys ringing him up, <laughs> and he's trying to cover it. Uh, but then, but sir. then,
0: <laughs> sir, uh,
1: but then he looks out the window. You know the student leaves, and you see him get in the car, and he can tell that they're talking about him, and he's just depressing. Now, now it's just a bummer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it's not as bad as the the psychological child abuse, but still it's not a comedy.
0: Gets back in the car. At this point Greg Kinnear is just completely dejected. You know, a rational viewer would think, well, that's karma catching up with you. You're being such a fucking dickhead. We get our first formal layover of the trip in that we pull over to a hotel. I don't believe it's explained where it is.
1: Uh, But we're near... uh, Fuck, Scarsdale is that is that it? Yeah, Uh, because yeah, because that's where uh, the the agent is Um, in Scarsdale. Stan Grossman. Stan Grossman. So we know that we're here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this is like potentially the most disturbing and foreboding scene in the movie. In they have like bordering rooms. And Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear just fucking ripping into each other about, you know, fuck you. you know They're just motherfucking each other back and forth. <laughs> and
1: it's it's so accurate, though. <laughs> You're not even exaggerating. I mean, this is it's really what's
0: happening. And Paul Dano's in his bed. Steve Carell tries to do the adult thing. He's like, turn on the TV, don't listen to that shit. Paul Dano turns the TV back off and then listens to them arguing. And it's the first time we see him smile in the entire movie. Casting a shadow for what was to come of Paul Dano's reign of terror over Hollywood. You know, 12 Years a Slave, Prisoners, <laughs> There Will Be Blood. Looper. Looper. Oh, God. Yeah, he's off putting that just with how greasy <laughs> his hair is. But The, the three mi- movies I would mentioned previously, just his incredibly unsettling nature. This was...
1: That was the first time that uh, America saw Paul Dano smile
0: <laughs> and we all shivered. <laughs> Paul Dano smiled... And we wept.
1: (laughs) Uh, This is... uh, I mean, it takes me back to the whole thing about that weird couple's dynamic between Tony Collette and Greg Kinnear. Because that argument is just the kind of thing that you would think this is the final argument, right? This is just... They're not surviving this. But then, I mean, you know, Kinnear goes and does his thing and, and... and Khaled goes and, like, smokes a cigarette, I think. And then they're pretty much back to normal, mm-hmm. even though nothing really changes by the next morning.
0: You ever had a, a well-timed cigarette? It does wonders.
1: <laughs> I mean, yes, but <laughs> I kind of, I, I'm convincing myself that really their sex life is amazing. And and the movie errs on uh, by not showing us that. Like, can you imagine if you have like a couple of like, sex scenes between Greg Kinnear and Tony Collette here? You would get it. It would click. Then you would be like, I get, I get, I understand what's going on here.
0: Just implant like a Wild Things-esque, <laughs> brutally graphic.
1: You have to go that far. Let's go to History of Violence. You know, like the rough, angry,
0: but it's so good. Disclosure with Demi Moore and <laughs> Michael Douglas <laughs> just going to town. You said Greg Kinnear does his thing. His thing consists of him apparently bribing some youths to rent a dirt bike of some sort from them so he can drive down to Scarsdale hope fine <laughs> yeah I was gonna say amicably meet up with uh, mr. Grossman which doesn't turn out to be the case he gets down there and he's done at this point he wants answers he calls the room and leaves a message like I don't know the fuck you are but I'm down in the lobby come down here right now and so he calls the cell phone, and it's like a almost a Departed-type scene of tension, <laughs> which is ironic, because that was the scene of the Departed was nominated. But we hear the phone ringing in the background while he's calling it, uh, a la Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson. And then he goes and finds, lo and behold, Walter White himself. Walter White before... Trying to score some sliz in the <laughs> lobby of this hotel.
1: This is maybe the only time that I've seen Brian Cranston in a movie where I've just felt like, oh, he's... he's probably as good as he was in Breaking Bad and I think it's probably because it's pre-Breaking Bad. I think that he peaked at Breaking Bad and ever since then, every time you see him in a movie uh, it feels like he's just trying to recapture the, the glory days of Breaking Bad uh, To be fair,
0: he peaked in Malcolm in the Middle.
1: Right. It, uh, in Breaking Bad is the closest he got to recapturing the golden days. The glory days. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but here maybe it's because it's just a short scene. They caught him on off day He seems very relaxed, very believable. Uh, And then, of course, because he's so good, the movie gets rid of him and <laughs> we never see him again.
0: There has to be a gif of him doing that thing where he sees who's calling him and then just shakes his head no and puts his phone back <laughs> in his pocket. And Greg Kinnear confronts him and is like, what the fuck? What is the reason that Grossman gives him Brian Cranston? says, He's
1: like, you're a nobody. nobody yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: it's not your program. It's just no one knows who you are. It, you are the problem. Right.
1: And, and you could also just translate. I think they were just copying a conversation they'd had off camera where, where Cranston was just telling <laughs> him, Listen, it's not the movie. It's just nobody knows who you are, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is not going to do anything.
0: Matters go from bad to far worse the next morning when Greg Kinnear, presumably flying off of maybe 90 minutes of sleep, is awoken by his uh, daughter Olive. to be After
1: after great sex with Tony Collette. You can see how the shot is. It's a two shot of them in bed, exhausted.
0: Oh, they're both flat on their back. Yeah. Like, you know. They didn't
1: even take their clothes off. They just went at it.
0: After that stupendous makeup, <laughs> yeah. after that stupendous uh, makeup, uh, coitus, for put it, lack of a better term, and, you know, that kind where you just kind of lay back afterwards and just go to sleep. <laughs> you wake up six hours later, haven't moved an inch, and what the fuck happened, huh?
1: Your throat hurts because you, you, you slept with your mouth open. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you wake up and fucking Abigail Breslin's right there saying that Alan Arkin's dead and you don't know what to make of it. She says Grandpa won't wake up, and the last we saw of our dearly departed Alan Arkin was that he went into the bathroom just to size himself up another fat line <laughs> of heroin to snort.
1: Well, before that, he had his, his Oscar clip. He, literally, his Oscar clip, because I'm pretty sure this is the, the clip they used at at the
0: Oscars. I'm fairly positive you're right. Where,
1: yeah. where he gives uh, Abigail Breslin the incredibly inappropriate pep talk, <laughs> where he's just like... You're hot.
0: <laughs> I don't so, care if you're smart. Yeah, he, I'm in love with you, and it has nothing to do with your brains or your personality. <laughs>
1: Jesus, Grandpa. I mean, I know you're 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 just like coked up, but still, that's that's that little girl is growing up so fucked up because she has so many terrible influences hitting her at, at, at every moment.
0: Alan Arkin has left us. They take Grandpa to the ho- the hospital. Uh, he's pronounced dead at the hospital the bereavement official i think is how she identifies herself yeah what yeah, the scene it's, breaks it's, down to is the lady the no nonsense lady no nonsense here you need to fill out this 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 greg Kinnear explains well no we have to be at redondo beach by 3 p.m. today so we're just going to come back and pick him up and then the official and greg Kinnear get into a uh, a heavy discourse about what's going to happen.
1: About the bureaucracy of what you do with a corpse.
0: <laughs> so Greg Kinnear, the psychopath that he is in this movie, asks to see the remains of Alan Arkin. They go in. He gets his moment of reflection and uh, goes, God regret. damn it, Dad. And then he just figures out, fuck it, we'll just take him. <laughs> he starts wrapping him up in the sheets. And then he peddles his bullshit. He does his big speech <laughs> on his family. Are we winners or are we losers? So so we steal movie- this body.
1: <laughs> this is where the movie, for all its flaws, it had its feet firmly planted in reality. And this is where the feet disappear, they become a shark, and then the shark jumps <laughs> out the window <laughs> with Alan Arkin's body. Because this is this is bullshit. This this would never it's impossible. From the one, he would never convince his family. They hate him.
0: Why? How, and also, Steve Carell is so brittle in this, I do not buy him being able to just catch and carry 220 of dead weight.
1: <laughs> Even if he has Paul Dano helping him, that doesn't, no, I don't I, I mind. Even less,
0: Paul Dano somehow reduces the strength of the team. Gets
1: in the way, trips. <laughs> uh, <Whoa! laughs> uh, and then, and then he smiles, <laughs> creepily.
0: Very creepily. Uh,
1: But then, just the fact that they can somehow get away with stealing a corpse from, even if it was the most incompetent staff. How inept is this hospital? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's crazy. There's no security. They just open a window, take the corpse out, and then just drive off. Impossible.
0: (laughs) They stuff them in the back. And they make their getaway. They successfully pull it off. Uh, They're on the freeway. Greg Kinnear honks the horn at a passerby. And... It somehow fucks the whole horn system to where it's just, which I've never had that happen. That, that it's shit, like one of my worst nightmares.
1: That shit is funny until it happens to you, <laughs> and then
0: then you're scarred for life. And because his horn is being laid on and just erratically operating, he gets pulled over by a very <laughs> unlikely guest in Little Miss Sunshine.
1: Yet yet somehow it makes sense uh, in the context of the previous cameo we've had.
0: For real. It's uh, Dean Norris, Officer Hank, as I like to call him. Hank from uh, Breaking Bad pulls over.
1: Also, years before Breaking
0: Bad, this is Hank before he had any pull. Yeah, and he's also... I mean, I mean, he had some comedic moments in Breaking Bad, but he's almost like a Farley esque actor here at this point.
1: He wanders in from like Dumb and Dumber and uh, he's got the huge Dunlap me.
0: going on with his belt and, you know, just a bucket of chuckles. <laughs> not what we would become, uh, not what would become the standard in Breaking Bad.
1: Right. If this was Hank from Breaking Bad, the movie would have gone a completely different direction and Greg Kinnear would be in prison for the rest of his <laughs> life, probably.
0: The Hoover family's pulled over. Uh, he actually has a name credit. State Trooper McCleary. Anyway, Officer Hank pulls over Greg Kinnear. And Greg Kinnear, like a standard white nerd, is just immediately like, don't look in the trunk! <laughs> just basically yells at him. And Officer Hank says, do you realize you just gave me a probable cause to search here? Long story short, they go to the back of the vehicle. He opens up the trunk. Uh, on top of Alan Arkin's decomposing body is a pile of porno mags that fall out and we get this unbelievably especially after watching breaking bad ridiculously unsettling unsettling, i should say shot of hank smiling sizing up and assessing these porno mags uh unbelievable is the
1: right word alex because i mean of course now we're, we're in fantasy land after they get away with stealing the corpse so if they get away with that, of course they're going to get away with just somehow having a cop that stops him, has the corpse of Alan Arkin literally in front of him and doesn't notice. It's been a few hours since Arkin died. He has to he has to smell.
0: There has to be an aroma of some sort.
1: Yeah. He just looked at Paul Dana and was like, that kid doesn't <laughs> wash his hair and... <laughs>
0: A week. Officer Hang just looks through the uh, heterosexual magazines and then gets to the eventual uh, homosexual pornography that Steve Carell had bought for himself. And it's at that point he's just like, get out of here.
1: I've had enough (laughs) of your quirkiness. I've had enough of your indie movie quirkiness.
0: This could be any small town in Texas at this point (laughs) where he just becomes disgusted and says, get out of here. The road trip continues on. Uh, While they're at the hospital, Olive grabbed some just random miscellaneous tests, one of them being a colorblind test that she tries to perform on Dwayne. It's quickly revealed that he's apparently based on this one short test colorblind, which leads Frank Steve Carell to incredibly quickly jump to the conclusion that he basically tells him, oh, God, you're colorblind. You'll never be able to fly ever.
1: Uh, For someone who was... Who tried to kill himself. That is a... You know, couldn't he be a little more tactful? hmm And it's already a delicate situation. The kid just lost his grandfather. Are you? Do you really need to drop this bomb? And and Carell is supposed to be the sensitive one in this family.
0: And he doesn't even mull it over. No, he just... He's like, oh, you're colorblind. Guess he can't fly. He's like, what? He's supposed to be 16
1: in this movie. You 15.
0: 15. You don't. They went to the School of terrible. Greece when casting. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, it worked in reverse. When I read that Paul Dana was 22 in that movie, I was like, oh God. He still looked like he was
1: 15. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, keep Alan Arkin's character away from him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the tests apparently aren't, weren't just uh, for your eyes and to determine your vision. And if you were colorblind, There were also tests to see if you would become a movie star. Because they provide (laughs) Paul Dano with his Oscar moment.
0: They do. He first begins just punching and kicking the side of the van. Steve Carell's exclaiming, pull over, pull over, pull over. When they finally do, we get the Texas chainsaw shot of the Volkswagen van slowly rolling to a halt. He jumps out and he runs down this hill, this, for lack of a better term, uh, reference the Contrarians' favorite reindeer games, this fjord. Ravine. Ravine. Shit, I not, was like, that's not the word. It's not fjord. It's a ravine. He runs down and just screams, fuck! Uh, and then, yeah, goes off, just cuts a promo on his entire family, except for Olive. He,
1: he has the good sense he to did, at
0: least spare her. He says, like, divorce, suicide, bankruptcy, you, you're all right. <laughs>
1: But fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you.
0: Begins crying, says he's never getting back in the van that he's done, just leave him there. And I do love that the family starts, like, deliberating. Steve Carell's like, well, I'll stay here. Where? <laughs> You're in the middle of nowhere.
1: Well, also You're Tony in a Collette. damned ravine somewhere. Well, also, Tony Collette, the whole thing is that the hospital, when they released Steve Carell, they told her, don't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. So... So he's like, "I'll stay with him." No, that's not happening because I don't trust you.
0: What leads to them debating all this too is just Tony Collette. She's watching her son have an insurmountable <laughs> meltdown, <laughs> and she's like, "Hey, we got to go back in the van."
1: I'm sorry, baby, but we got to go. We're on the clock here.
0: But Olive is the the link that keeps the chain together, and she goes down, and all she has to do is hug paul dano for him to realize what it's all about it's about her getting to her uh destination <laughs> to
1: her beauty pageant. yes i <laughs> can't think that they know what's important in life from this point it is I just mean, alex any any good family because the whole point of this movie is that at the very end oh well you know they love each other and they're a family and america blah, blah, blah. but really <laughs> any any good family would just stop right... Honestly, they would have stopped when the grandpa died. But even if that didn't hit home because he was old and doing drugs or whatever, when you see your 15-year-old son in such pain, that's where it ends. Yeah. You pack it in. You pick up the pieces, go to a hotel, buy him some ice cream. and
0: You just explain with teary eyes to Abigail Breslin it's just not going to happen.
1: And and that's, out of all the things they're teaching her in this movie, that's the one thing she needs to learn. It's the Fred
0: Claus scene where Paul Giamatti's bedridden and just said, It's too much to ask. I'd never ask that of you. Teary eyes. It's all right. It's going to be all right. But no, we load back in and this thing becomes a goddamn National Lampoon movie (laughs) of road trip hijinks. They're driving around. Greg Kinnear doesn't know what exit to take. He takes the wrong exit. Everyone's yelling at him. He thinks he's on the right road. It leads to this cul-de-sac, which he just barrels through and takes out the, the... the median, the guardrail there. They get to their destination. Steve Carell goes to open the door. The whole damn door falls off. And then Steve Carell runs like... Uh, he's got the stiff arms at his side. I can't... Um, Robert Patrick in...
1: Oh, in uh, T2. T2. Yeah. Yep.
0: He's running there. I just expected his arms to extend to these big hooks. <laughs> we finally get to our destination, Redondo Beach, this hotel there, the the beauty pageant.
1: We are rewarded. With we our- are
0: met at the pass. With Beth Grant, uh, I think we—I I know I probably mentioned this during our oh, speed. We definitely episode. did. Yeah, the yeah. actress that is always just cast in the role of just being. A huge bitch. Yeah. So in Speed... Nails it to a T. <laughs> yes. And I imagine, like, with that in mind, with that all being said, I imagine she's probably the sweetest woman in the world if right. you meet her in real life. That's how it works. But she just knows how to turn it on like money.
1: Yeah. In Speed, she gets blown up. And and if you haven't seen Speed or you can't remember her from Speed, she is the... Uh, and Donnie Darko, because, of course, you've seen Donnie Darko. She is the, the PTA mom that's always just really... She, Abrasive.
0: She also plays a, a teacher, of some sort, in uh, Malcolm the Middle, who's just a huge bitch. And she also is uh, the person that took care of Dwight when he was a child in The Office.
1: Oh wow! She's yeah. in the
0: dinner party episode. She's Dwight's date to it. Which that's here nor there. One of the most awkward pieces of television mm-hmm. writing ever.
1: Well, you know, Steve Carell was in The Office, so he it all dro- ties in. Into- he dropped
0: ninety five pounds and was <laughs> in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> They velcroed a beard on him.
1: Like he looks like his... he's in
0: an SNL skit in this. <laughs> he looks like he's in an SNL skit trying to play like an old version of Billy Ray Cyrus and they just <laughs> found like this velcro beard to slap on him.
1: Whatever wasn't like filling out they just grabbed a black marker and just like went <laughs> oh, to town. Yeah.
0: They had the the stencil and just <laughs> black spray paint. They're there. They're at the contest. Uh, Beth Grant tries to stop him any way she can. The nice sound guy, John Waters' son, is there to <laughs> say, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, it's like, only you know,
1: five minutes. Yeah.
0: While he's helping them get registered, Abigail Braslin goes over and meets Miss California. Uh, in actually a sweet, endearing moment, asks, do you eat ice cream? And she says, yeah. Uh,
1: Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> she does not.
0: Abigail Braslin turns around and Greg Kinnear's just there shaking his head No. <laughs> And then he says, "Sweetie, sometimes people lie." <laughs> Frank and Dwayne both realize the situation. They they're looking around. They know how things are about to become, and that's when they just bolt. Right? Yeah. They, they go for a walk.
1: Just let's let's get out of here. Paul Dana. Now that he's now that he talks, you can't shut him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now he has opinions.
0: <laughs> they head out onto the pier uh, down in Redondo Beach and. Steve Carell gives an incredibly mistimed rah-rah speech of, you know, Paul Dano's gone through a lot today, and Steve Carell also is not in the best place to be giving people life advice, right? and he gives Paul Dano this big rah-rah speech about how, no, your suffering is what you need.
1: Yeah, but then Dano either chooses to ignore it or completely misses the point, because his response is just like, fuck everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's not really what he was saying, but Paul Dano goes... Fuck the army. If they won't let me fly, I'll find a way to fly.
0: And Steve Carell's like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> Let's go back inside.
1: Clearly you were not ready for this conversation.
0: The beauty pageant has begun. We get some very disturbing elements to it. The The host of it is obviously...
1: It's uh, the poor man's Will Arnett. Damn it, you beat me to it. I was going to
0: say not Will Arnett. <laughs> Uh, who has an unhealthy infatuation with being the MC of such things. There's also a, a gentleman in the crowd in a denim vest that has earplugs in, and Greg Kinnear's like, you got a kid in this? And he's like, this is your first time? And he just smiles back at him and puts his earplugs back in. The face Greg Kinnear makes here is fucking great, though, because he still thinks he's talking to a parent. And just, <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, yeah, this is this is when, when the movie
1: uh, gets really disturbing, and... So that would be good if that was its intent, but it really it it just doesn't know what to do right because you you get reaction shots of Kinnear as all these girls start parading and they're all like in heavy makeup and trying to be sexy, and they're like what seven, yeah six, eight, and uh so he seems slightly grossed out, but then his daughter comes around and instead of thinking, "Man, this is terrible, I'll just pull her out." He kind of, like, forgets about it and smiles. Yeah. And then he gets grossed out again next time that the girls come around. But then Olive gets the spotlight and he smiles. It's okay. Once again, the movie can't make up its mind. Are we condemning these things? Are, are we just saying that they're bad, that, that they shouldn't happen? Or is it okay when your daughter is on the stage?
0: Well, when Frank and Dwayne make their way back in, it becomes painfully apparent to them what the score is. And they all, or Dwayne at least, runs back with... Uh, Greg Kinnear to explain to Tony Collette that we can't let her go out there. I, we I had never noticed this before. I've seen this movie probably three or four times. Greg Kinnear's line when he sees Tony Collette is, "We're not in Albuquerque anymore." <laughs> and Dwayne just explains, "Olive just isn't a beauty, pe- a beauty champion or beauty queen." Right, because those
1: girls aren't just like all made up, but also they're fucking juggling knives and doing contortions on stage
0: yeah it, they
1: don't even know what all of is gonna do.
0: they just don't want her to feel embarrassed or singled out or anything like that so they're they're trying they in their minds they think they're trying to help her but yeah, to your point, we have no idea what a routine is. it's something Alan Arkins helped her with this whole time. so when she does finally make her way to the stage and the uh unmistakable opening riff of super Freak by uh, Rick James begins, we as an audience weren't really sure what we're in for but that dirty old bastard Alan Arkin had just been training <laughs> Abigail Breslin to do a damn striptease.
1: Um, so again, the movie stopped caring about believability uh, a long time ago. But this thing goes on forever before anybody even makes an oh, attempt. to stop It it's definitely the extended
0: cut of Super Freak. <laughs> yeah. It's the November Rain cut of Super Freak. <laughs> the
1: she the moment that she rips her pants off, that's when it ends. It, even if his fa- her family is too stunned to do anything, there is they're surrounded by people that would presumably pull the plug. Uh, I mean, Beth Beth Grant, yeah, yeah, Beth Grant would be the first one to do it, and she eventually does it, but not before Abigail Breslin is down to her underwear almost. She's like doing suggestive moves towards the audience. I just didn't buy it. I mean, that 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 super freak number would have ended before the minute mark
0: she uh beth grant does try to get her off stage she has not will arnett try to basically chase her down to which greg kinnear responds by jumping on stage she said just get your daughter off the stage and greg kinnear they've come so far he's learned so much he has no choice at this point but to become a super freak himself and begins busting a move which in turn uh galvanizes both steve carell and paul dano to get on stage and start dancing as well the final holdout tony collette does which just a horrible job of security by this beauty pageant
1: not a single you know you know there are perverts sitting there where is the security there is four adults on stage dancing and being unpredictable why aren't they being tackled
0: also beth grant clearly doesn't care about the prestige and honor of this pageant if she's not willing to go down for it herself and they finished super freak with a massive guitar solo cut a super freak you've never heard anywhere else before
1: or again ever since uh, that was it it was it was a uh, little miss sunshine exclusive
0: all richard hoover needed is that one moment of redemption in which all he does is really dance like a poor white man
1: and then he's forgiven for his sins
0: not like a poor white man, I'm sorry. He dances poorly like a white man, <laughs> is what I meant to say. I'm sure there's some uh, less than industry standard Caucasians out there that can cut a fucking rug. And the only people that seem to enjoy the entire spectacle are John Waters' son, the sound man, and the previously established... Creep. I don't want to label him as a pedophile because we don't know as much, but clearly well, he's, a, he's a really creepy trying. individual. Yeah, <laughs> he's
1: trying to earn the, the moniker. You know, I don't know how things are in uh, is it Redondo Beach mm-hmm. and how may they may have changed with the times since the movie. But they get off lightly. You know, they're just basically no charges are pressed. You would They're think- banned
0: for life from California entering a beauty pageant.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you would think that you know Child Services would have wanted
0: to <laughs> A to bit have more a- information,
1: right? At least a sit down with the Hoovers and see what's going on.
0: They're banned for life. Beth Grant is just uh, again of. V- we don't hear what she's saying, but we see behind a-, a tinted wall of her just pointing aggressively and presumably, again, a lack of a better phrase, cutting a promo on the. A Redondo Beach PD. And the guy just comes out. was like, all right, you guys can't come back. So we just head back to the van. And what is absent is Alan Arkin as he was taken away by a local funeral home. And they push start the van and they take off back on the road to a destination unknown.
1: And and I guess their problems have been solved. They're all smiling. You know, everything that, they, that went wrong, all the things... Uh, All the flaws that grated against each other, they are forgotten just because they dance together for five minutes.
0: You know, their problems may not have been little, but they were (laughs) able to miss them to see the sunshine. And they ride off literally into the sunset.
1: (laughs) It's it's a hell of a tagline.
0: (laughs) Actually, uh, the tagline for this movie uh, was the same of Drive and No Country for Old Men. There are no clean getaways.
1: (laughs) That was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the door has fallen off our van on this road trip, so I uh, yeah, think we need to take a break and move it along to real talk. Yes.
1: And you, I I'm sorry. I um sorry. Take
0: time. Don't apologize, oh, all It's a sign of weakness.
1: Um. Well, I want. Uh, okay. Okay. I know what I want. I know. Okay. Can I get the uh, waffles and um? What does alamode mean?
0: Oh, that means it comes with ice cream. Okay, a la mode. Olive for
1: breakfast. said okay. four dollars. Okay, you're right. Okay, be right back. Actually, Olive, a la mode, uh, in French, <laughs> translates literally as in the fashion. A la mode.
0: Mode is derived from Latin modus, meaning do our proper measure. Frank, shut up. Richard. Olive, can I tell you a little something about ice cream? Yeah. Well... Ice cream is made from cream, which comes from cow's milk, and cream has a lot of fat in it. Richard. What? She's going to find out anyway, remember?
1: What? Find out what?
0: Well, when you eat ice
1: cream, the fat in the ice cream becomes fat in your body. Richard, I swear to God. It's true. What? What's wrong? Nothing. I
0: mean, nothing's wrong. So, if you eat a lot of ice cream, you might become... Clad, and if you don't, you're going to stay nice and skinny, sweetie. Olive Richard is an idiot. I like a woman with meat on her bones.
1: And we are recording for Real Talk.
0: All right, Real Talk for Little Miss Sunshine. Contrarian Summer Road Trip rages on. Little Miss Sunshine premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 20th, 2006. Had its uh limited release in the United States on July 26th, 2006.
1: Summer blockbuster.
0: It. It tore shit up, man. Budget of eight million dollars made uh, a little bit over one hundred million dollars, and obviously became a, a darling of the award circuit that year, being nominated for four Academy Awards, winning two of them: Best Original Screenplay by Michael Arndt and Best Performance in a Supporting Role by an Actor by Alan Arkin. Which I remember I was watching him in when I realized it got to the point where he was his character was about to leave us. I was like, holy shit, he really wasn't in much of the movie.
1: It's three scenes, drops like 50 fucks,
0: and he's gone. <laughs> uh, nominated for Best Picture, which of course lost to The Departed, and uh, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role, which I'm not quite sure who won that. I know, if I remember correctly, that uh, Alan Arkin winning and Mark Wahlberg not was the only Oscar The Departed didn't win that it was nominated for.
1: Can you imagine if they swapped? You have Alan Arkin in The Departed and Jack Nicholson in Little
0: Miss Sunshine. Oh Jesus! Do they become better movies? Fuck them, kid. <laughs> Fuck all of them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to play that game because <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> uh, best supporting actress went to Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls. Okay, yeah. What a all-encompassing year that was. But Greg and watch from home. Yeah, Little Miss Sunshine and Greg <laughs> Kinnear not getting fucking an Oscar nomination. Immiscible. <laughs> it's a story. 91%. So let's get to, uh, before we go too deep into it, that means a hell of a lot of critics liked it, but we also had some nasty green splotches. What What were people resenting about this movie?
1: People uh, from, the, from the 9%, got three quotes. Fernando F. Crosi from CinePassion says, Sundance calibrated sitcom. <laughs> uh, Louis Priyect from Rec Arts Movies Reviews. Utterly repellent characters, totally implausible narrative, overhyped project of the year. That's kind of like my, my Conterna's Corner position. <laughs> yeah. And finally, Gabe Libowitz from Film and Felt says, harmless enough as passable road movies go, but I can't help but wish directors of films like these would grow some damn balls. What did he
0: want? Yeah. I'm not quite sure what he watched or what he wanted.
1: He wanted the the Kinnear-Colette sex scenes.
0: <laughs> and as much as we uh, jested in the first part about, you know, like that second review, the repellent characters and the the shifting narrative and whatnot, one of the things Julio, t- Julio and I talked about while watching this is like, yeah, it's a fault of all the things of like the massive indie tropes of the time and the the shooting and the color palette and all that, but it fucking works. It works. It all works.
1: Unless you have decided that you're going to be against those aesthetic choices and you know if you're like I I just can't stand movies with quirky characters, well then don't even start watching it. That's it's just going to rob you the wrong way.
0: Well, that's not even we talked about Juno that way too in that yeah, th- this has quirky characters, but unlike Juno, it's still there's a lot of relatability to it. Are you telling me
1: <laughs> we're not June getting another? <laughs> we're not
0: getting into another Juno digression. Uh, but Little Miss Sunshine, directed by, uh, as we mentioned, Jonathan Dayton and
1: fucking Juno wouldn't put up with the Hoover for five minutes.
0: <laughs> oh, you killed yourself, <laughs> Fertile Myrtle. <laughs> She doesn't even say that. I'm trying to think of one one of the fucking stupid lines that she has in that movie. Her
1: friend, uh, uh, honest to blog.
0: Honest to blog, that's right.
1: Honest to blog, Mr. Hoover, you need to stop with this nine-step
0: bullshit. And despite the fact that we had a supposed or even just want to be pedophile in this movie, no one in this movie is as creepy as Jason Bateman (laughs) in Juno.
1: We can agree on that.
0: (laughs) Uh, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, and as we mentioned, written by Michael Arndt, Little Miss Sunshine set the world on fire when it premiered. I told Julio I remember specifically seeing this at the movie theater in Denton where I went to college uh, before I worked there. And it was the first Fox Searchlight movie I remember seeing. I remember that that then becoming a, a film studio I kept up with pretty regularly. And also it was the only theater in the area that was showing it but still, because it was this big indie movie, they put it in one of the smaller theaters. So I saw it like a Friday night, and it sold out showing. Um, I don't even know if I saw it in
1: theaters. I know for a fact that I saw it after the buzz had started because I remember reading an article on some film magazine. It was before I browsed the internet. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm
0: picturing you licking your finger. <laughs> huh. What Joan- is Joan? John A. Hill. Who is that?
1: <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was an interview with the directors, I think. And they were—I remember not having read the movie, not having watched the movie, and reading about some plot points and how they were talking about. Uh, it was—it was about Greg Kinnear. That—that that was their their entry point was that it was Greg Kinnear's journey or whatever. And uh, and thinking about that when I was watching the movie later, so.
0: It is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... That's what I said when we brought it up previously, is that it's... Greg Kinnear is... Okay, so I think I... I remember loving this movie the first time I saw it, and I think I love it even more after this (laughs) reviewing tonight. It's fucking hilarious, and all the characters are so well-developed, but, man... I think, you know, 20 years from now, Greg Kinnear is going to get that Martin Scorsese Oscar for. It's a performance that like, yeah, it was OK, but we all know it's really the Lifetime Achievement Award he's getting. What was the one that um, Oldman got? Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy? Or was was, it, it, was that it? No, was it wasn't. Uh, oh, no,
1: it was uh, the Churchill movie. Um,
0: Final Hour, Last Hour. Yeah, yeah, Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour. It was an hour of some sort. <laughs> Where you know, it was
1: it was Oscar hour. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. because Greg Kinnear is on GD fire in this thing, man. He's he's so good. He's so unafraid of being a fucking dick
1: and not a dick in a funny way. Every time he's an asshole, it's unsettling because. But then
0: in the end, he's also not a bastard opposed to making himself the butt of the joke, like when he's dancing and whatnot.
1: Yeah, that's why it works so well because he's been so unlikable at first and so just such an ass and then uh, you know i mean we joked about how the dance uh, clears him of all his previous sins. it's his moment <laughs> of redemption
0: but really the moment of redemption is that one where he's been like kind of embarrassed of his family the entire movie and the uh beth grant what is your daughter doing And he, the that moment of reflect, reflection and like right she's kicking ass that's what she's doing oh god and yeah uh so I'll get to the trivia before we move much more forward, so we can think about who potentially else could have been in that role. Um, this was really cute. I thought this was great. The production crew made sure that Abigail Braslin was really wearing headphones, listening to music during that scene in the van. Where, uh, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> yeah, because that could traumatize a seven-year-old girl. The scene where Alan Arkin is just talking about having sex, fucking, and, and, and yeah. you know, drugs and all this. Uh, all the girls acting as participants in the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant, except for Abigail Brazon, of course, were veterans of real beauty pageants. I'm sorry. That's sad. I resent your parents heavily. They wore the same costumes, including hair and makeup, and performed the same talent routines they had in real life pageants.
1: I mean, see, here's that the thing. That
0: shit is it, repulsive.
1: It is. But, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm will I'll, not going to defend it. I mean, okay, so you have, like, the whole – well, there were different times you know uh, I mean i'm sure there's still beauty pageants going like child beauty pageants going around and and it's not the like the, it's not the girls fault and they
0: seven of course it's not their fault
1: right right but what i'm saying is like you know i i would hate to like embarrass we don't have any 7 year old pageant winners or <laughs> run around to listening to not. this <laughs> podcast but uh their grandparents are probably listening to them as they <laughs> well, shoot no, up yeah. Aaron, Aaron. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's not to I mean, shame it, them.
0: They're, right, right. they're it, not it, repulsive. It, 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 it's people that is, encourage that. I,
1: I think that there's like a few degrees off that. There is something that, that would still be, uh, relevant and viable with today's culture where you just celebrate little girls having talent. Like, contest. A, exactly. Like a talent show instead of a beauty pageant, which really, seems to focus more on like the whole gross objectification of the, yeah,
0: of, it, the it, of the it, it, human sexu- it, yeah, it, it sexualizes like seven and uh, eight. Right. Yeah.
1: That is gross, but the whole like I I couldn't help but think, oh that's kinda cute that that's like their talents, like the girl that was doing backflips or whatever. Good for her. And
0: I can't do that. It's so, <laughs> cool. I never could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's great. Uh and you know, maybe she grows up and watches this movie and then she kind of gets a different understanding of what her childhood was like, in I don't know.
0: <laughs> Did you ever see Bad Grandpa, the the near one? Dick House movie? That uh, that was Dirty Grandpa, Bad oh. Grandpa, the Johnny Knoxville.
1: No, no, uh, I've, I've I mean I know of it. he? His... The the
0: because you know it's like a movie that's like it has a story, but a lot of it, it's got stunts that are like done in public,
1: right? Yeah, so I... it's
0: it's like a jackass movie with like a plot. But the whole payoff is the end that the he has his grandson or granddaughter or whatever do a striptease routine at a beauty pageant like that. So it's basically this just put into real life. Um, How hilarious is it
1: for the people that are... <laughs> oh,
0: it's nowhere near as funny as this. And yeah, before I go any further, let's just say the fact that that's the payoff, that she does a striptease just... Right. (laughs) Enormous chef's kiss. (laughs) Cherry on top of the sundae. Uh, Movie took five years to make, mostly due to financial reasons. I presume that was all, like, release. Yeah, I mean. Because I I believe all the adults could probably fluctuate in five years, but I think we'd probably notice with uh, Paul Dano (laughs) and um, Abigail Breslin. Uh, Bill Murray was the original choice to play Frank, the Steve Carell character.
1: Oh yeah, he. I mean, I, I mean, would he would have
0: nailed it, but he, it would have been a really vast age differential between he and Tony Collette.
1: Well, I'm thinking of the, of Bill Murray now. He looks much older,
0: obviously, but I mean, back that, in that would have been like Life Aquatic, Bill Murray. Yeah,
1: I mean, I could see it. Fair Life enough. Aquatic, Bill Murray is. He's still virile. I mean, now now he's just like a grandpa.
0: Uh, Michael Arndt had to quit his job as Matthew Broderick's assistant to write the movie. That's
1: awesome. I've 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 seen uh Michael Arndt's been to the Austin Film Festival a couple of times, and he's great. He's a great speaker. He's a very smart guy. He's talked about a Little Miss Sunshine before, you know, when, about just crafting the ending. And he's he's great. I wish him nothing but the best.
0: This is fucking awesome. On July 25th, 2006, Fox Searchlight Pictures invited VW bus owners to a screening of Little Miss Sunshine at Violin Drive-In Theater in City of Industry, California. 65 VW buses were present at the event.
1: That's L- awesome. Were that, they
0: all yellow? I don't know about that, but uh, a drive-in theater used to be something that people could go to where they would show movies and you'd just sit in your car and watch them. No, that, that's so cool. I I always mark out for gimmick screening like that like the the way the draft house does uh jaws on the water mm-hmm. and they've done open water and yeah that that's just so cool to me um th- this is something for nerds like us too this is great directors jonathan dayton and valerie ferris had previously directed the 1979 music video by the smashing pumpkins hence why frank's total when he purchased the porno magazines was
1: 1979 <laughs> well i wish i'd known that While I was watching the movie. That video is great, by the way. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church turned down the role of Richard, as did uh, Robin Williams, Alec Baldwin, David Duchovny, and Ray Romano. Wow. Yeah.
1: I can't. I like all of them, but that's just. Robin Williams would take over the movie.
0: Actually, I may have been mistaken just to make sure because I don't want to. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to smerch the memory of anybody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it was Thomas Hayden Church actually turned it down. Robin Williams, Alec Baldwin, David Duchovny, and Ray Romano were considered for it. I'm not sure if they were actually offered it.
1: I think, okay, so out of all those, I think Duchovny maybe would have been something similar to what Kinnear is doing here. Uh, have you ever
0: seen Ray in a serious role? Um,
1: I'm trying to think. Big I'm Sick? Sure I have. Eulogy? Yeah, Big Sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think Ray would have been great. But-
1: yeah, But but I think Ray... It's a different kind of comedy. It's a different kind of energy than Greg I,
0: I That's very fair. I don't know if I could completely buy Ray as being like just an actual dick and being like...
1: Yeah, he's more of a of a sad sack like kind of oaf. dick. Even that show Vinyl with uh, Bobby Cannavale, you mm-hmm. know, he was... They were all kind of dicks, but out of all of them, Ray Romano was the one that was kind of a loser, even though he was a dick. Yeah. So, I mean, Kinnear's character here is a loser, but he's... In the eyes of his family, he's just kind of the hard ass that's just bullying them around. And I, I just don't see Ray Romano doing it. It would be a different movie. I think that in that movie, you would totally see Tony Collette as the alpha of the relationship. Yeah. Uh, here, I think they're on almost even keel.
0: That's a fair point. Uh, and lastly, Donald Sutherland almost won the role of Grandpa Edwin Hoover before Alan Arkin was cast.
1: Can't don't imagine you? anybody but Arkin. <laughs>
0: It so maybe Jack Nicholson. Doesn't. Fuck them all. <laughs> Fuck while you can. Just with <laughs> his long, stringy hair and beard.
1: That conversation with uh, Abigail Breslin, where he tells her how British is <laughs> way too creepy. <laughs> I,
0: no. <laughs> I'm madly in love with you.
1: Unless we get the Donald Sutherland from Buffy, in which he's not even trying. In.
0: in <laughs> Which he's a pain to work with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, man, yeah, this movie is fantastic. Um, the comedy in it hits on all levels. Uh, Julio can attest. I know I, I made light specifically two things, or one thing I wanted to call out, two things I wanted to mention. One thing in the first portion that I jested about that I lost my mind watching was when they actually pull up to the venue and Steve Carell goes to open the van door and the door falls off. It's one of those things in a lesser movie that it's such a tried and cliched trope uh, for, you know, when everything is going awry, something like that happens. But this movie's so good that not only does it earn that, but it makes you think that it's above that. Right. And so when it happens, it it hits you so much harder. And it's so funny. Uh, Paul Dano, I, I can't believe he has not been on The Contrarian's. I, previously i mean i mean we've reached out to his agent he just doesn't <laughs> want to do it but uh we
1: understand i mean this is, we're not
0: there yet the people's champ bringing it and as only paul dano can in that creepy role here
1: but that's the thing that now we watch it and we're like that's paul dano but when we saw when we first saw little miss sunshine we didn't know who he was he oh, no. yeah. was just like that kid from Little Miss Sunshine.
0: And because of that, it makes it so much more impactful that you, you don't really know who he is in this. And, you know, we had yet to find out that was kind of his M.O. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're getting. Uh, Abigail Breslin's fantastic. And one of the things Juli and I were talking about, you said that Alan Arkin didn't want her to win.
1: Yeah, I remember when they were when they were talking, they were interviewing him on the red carpet or something. And they're like, you hope he, she wins. And I remember he said... Uh, I hope she wins and then that's it and they but I I'm almost sure that what he said was I hope she doesn't win so they'll leave her alone so that the, the industry doesn't fuck with her because she's such a sweet innocent kid and uh, I told you like right after I told you that story what happened to her I haven't seen her in a while and then you told me that she's in that Schwarzenegger movie so
0: Maggie yeah that's that's a couple years ago Oh yeah that was like five 2014 2015 she,
1: I mean, I haven't seen Maggie, but she's really good in
0: this. Oh, she's fantastic! The Oscar scene with Arkin, when they're just going back and forth, it's it's remarkable that you can get performances like that from a child. the
1: The way that she is on the verge of tears during the first part of the that conversation, and then and then she actually cries, and then she builds herself back up and laughs. It's just it's so good mm-hmm. in. She's she's really good. Uh, I've seen her a couple other things since just like the adult Abigail Breslin, and uh, she's just as good. She was uh, in that movie with Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep.
0: Stepmom? No.
1: <laughs> you always say that because I can't remember the name. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ewan McGregor is her dad in that movie. She's she's good. Uh, uh,
0: Steve Carell, the other thing with that, Julia and I were talking about and I was kind of reading about while we were watching the movie, was when he was originally cast, he was no-name. Uh, pretty much 40 Old Virgin, I think, was all that he kind of had to cling on to it at the time. And from the process of the movie being filmed to the movie being released, The, the Office. So, like, he went from a n- kind of no name commodity or um a niche commodity, I guess you could say, to like a bona fide star during the course of the production.
1: So then everyone was like, it's a new Steve Carell movie. And Greg Kinnear was, fuck! <laughs>
0: This That's supposed whole, to be my vehicle. The whole reason, yeah, that it got pub in my circle was because it was a serious Michael Scott movie. And like I said, even when I saw it, my young, extremely naive and dumb 20, 21 year old self, I still was just all about Greg Kinnear in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, Carell is great. I was about to say, let's put over Steve Carell first. Uh, the scene he has, because I feel. That most of the leads have some sort of Oscar scene in it, uh, n- not jokingly, but like legitimately like these demonstrations of how good of actors they are. And for Carell, it's that one in the gas station where he's finally got his, you know, he's kind of happy and, you know, having a good time on this road trip. And he gets this confidence about him and that whole thing where he, I'll have a blue raspberry slushy <laughs> and he gets this childlike grin on his face. And then the, the guy who caused him to almost kill himself is right behind him. It's a it's a fantastic demonstration of what he's capable of. As right.
1: He's an funny and then you feel bad for him. It's yeah, he, he goes through the, the roller coaster in that gas station. Uh he's really good too when uh the the scene later when he his writer's his speech to uh to Paul Dano. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's less uh the focus is not just on him because he's sharing the screen with, with Dano, but I think that his delivery is just it's just really good.
0: And then him and Kinnear have that back and forth scene. I can't remember quite the context of it. But they're both great. And yeah, just, they're both just being super catty with each other. Like, you
1: know, I feel bad for you, Frank. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: And he's <laughs> like, uh, how, well, how much is that nugget of wisdom going to cost me? Oh, that one's on the house, buddy. <laughs> uh, Tony Collette, she is similar to Tom Hardy in the sense of... she She'll kick your ass? Well, that, but also is so unbelievably convincing with american accents that i completely forget that like americanized english was not her first language
1: she is great this is the first movie though where i was just so attracted to her <laughs> I've seen her in a primal level. Dude, there is something. I mean, she's not glammed up in this movie. It's the complete opposite. She's just like, she's doing. She's relatable. Right. She's just like that mom that has like a million things going on, no makeup, you know, and married to a dick. And she's just so hot. I mean, in addition to being really funny when she needs to be and really good at the dramatic stuff, she's just, uh, I'm not kidding. Like, I think that Kinnear is the lucky one in that relationship. (laughs)
0: Uh, for her, uh, and this also comes to the writing, but also her ability to pull it off so convincingly is when Alan Arkin dies, she appears to be the most upset of yeah. all of
1: them. And see, that's the thing. I think that all of the characters, she's the one that doesn't get the big scene. She has a bunch of little scenes.
0: But that's true to her character. Yeah, like, yeah. She's yeah. the glue that holds everything together.
1: She uh, she has – in you because know, I've seen this movie several times. So this time around – in between writing my notes, I was really paying attention to her because uh, I know the lines for the other people, but just seeing her reactions in the background and she's just so on point when that that argument between Greconier and and Steve Carell in the van, she's laughing her ass off the entire time, like in the background, but trying to keep it together until it's her time to just put a stop to it. It's just so good and and. It's a role also where you could have, it could have easily turned out to be, oh, which, you know, just like the nagging mom, the the humorless mom, but because she allows herself to laugh through so many of the things or just like smile and look like she's not having a terrible time all the time. There are times when she's having fun, uh, which I guess applies to all the characters. There are moments where, uh, other than Paul Dano, I think everybody else at some point seems to have fun.
0: The the scene in the hospital, they're just having, you know, a parent who in some ways was closer to their, you know, uh, parent law than their actual parent and seeing the reaction. It was something so relatable to me and the way she pulled it off, I thought was so absolutely convincing. And, and then they also, you know, we were just belowing Greg Kinnear here, but when he, um, the scene of him, when he finally like is confronted with Alan Arkin's body and how he just like gets mad at him about Goddammit, it. God damn dad. Yeah.
1: Um, they have that other moment though, uh, where they're they're back on the road after he's had the bathroom. Oh, phone and call. he's like,
0: You you tried. Right. And yeah. at first
1: he's just like, Yeah, yeah, fuck off. And then he, he comes down and he's like, Thanks, Dad. Yeah. It's just so and they've been bickering, you know, two scenes ago where they were being just like really nasty to each other. And and uh again, Tony doesn't have any lines there. I think maybe she says thanks to the dad before that but uh she's mostly silent but you can tell she's so present in that scene because it's just like a big group shot where you know she's on the left Kinnear's on the right and Arkin's in the background um it's just they're just pros like everybody in that van it's
0: just and then um I think probably Kinnear's my favorite delivered line of his is when they finally get to the beauty pageant and they're all registered and he fills out all the forms and everything and the the guy that registers and <laughs> anything else yeah you know you know of the local funeral home <laughs> and the fact like it's so good too because it's the, it's tight filmmaking you know a lot of movies nowadays always build in time for the laughs so you let, like shots linger mm-hmm. he like says that then it's an immediate cut to the next scene it's absolutely fantastic and then the actual pageant uh yeah, that's where Greg Kinnear's story comes full circle, but then also when Carell and Dano get on stage. And then that to me, that's to counter argue you, uh, or to argue with your original point. That's Tony Collette's Oscar scene to me. She doesn't have any lines, but her whole reaction to everything that's going on yeah. and yeah. Her realizing like everything pulled together in the end. I, th- I think that's. And then she jumps on stage, and oh, it's so, so good.
1: Um, the first few times I watched this movie, I remember feeling uneasy with the ending. Not, I mean, I thought it was really funny, and I and I liked it. But I was like, I, there was this feeling of just a lack of closure, um, which is intentional. And the more I watched it, the more I get it. Because it's not that this... I mean, we joked about it in Concierge Corner, but it's not like this fixes everything. Yeah. It doesn't fix anything, really, other than, I think, maybe... Reminds them of what it's like to be a family and stay, you know, be there for each other, or whatever. But at the end of the line, nobody there has a solution to their problems. Uh, you know, Paul Dano is still colorblind and he's not going to be able to fly. And uh, Gretna's business is still basically Steve dead in the water. A long
0: road of recovery. Yeah, no. it's
1: everybody. So and it's weird because you're conditioned to have some sort of like solution. When you get a happy ending, but here the happy ending is just well they survived the trip and now they're going back and it's probably gonna be just as rough on the way back.
0: But that's kind of like what I was telling you about earlier. That's that's fine because that's the movie,
1: right? But the, you know, I think that out but that's our what age, helps it. it,
0: it, it well, that's what helps you though, like uh, understand how good the storytelling and the writing is. Is that what stays with you? Is like, well, that doesn't fix everything, it, you know. So it makes movies like this so brilliant, and it also doesn't overstay its welcome. You're just with this family for this. Mm-hmm. That's what you're there with them for. And so you have to understand the confines of that. But then when it's done, that that's what makes... Oh, God. TV, movies, whatever. That's That's the shit you live for, where when it's over and you're just like... You want to know what happens to those characters, and you're never going to.
1: Yeah. It, There's no like... One year later, and you see Kinnear being a successful author, or uh, or Corell publishing a book
0: that's like. If it was released in 2019, you would get that. <laughs> Not to say that movies are so much more groundbreaking, you know, 15 years ago, but it's it's still. It seems like there's way more. Everything's tied up in a neat bow.
1: Right. You, you, know. you have the shot of a uh, uh, Tony Collette is bringing uh, taking a pie out of the oven, and she's pregnant. <laughs>
0: steve carell's there with you know um, clean
1: shaven in the, with her new, with his new boyfriend
0: <laughs> just yeah brother with dreads or something <laughs> like that that i was just thinking at the end of uh sex drive where james Morrison has his new boyfriend with the dreadlocks and everything uh but yeah that to your point that's what makes it stick with you as you think about well this doesn't solve everything but then but that's not why i was with them this whole time i was with them to see them take olive to this uh beauty pageant and again i know i already stated that but the payoff being that alan arkin just trained her to do the striptease is like it, it builds up so much seriousness and especially that you know second and third act up until that point with alan arkin dying and like the stress of them getting there and getting registered on time you almost expect some you know big grandiose uh Anne Hathaway and Les Mis type, you know, musical number. <laughs> and the fact that they paid off with super freak with her, just dancing all sultry is fantastic.
1: But it's even, it's sultry, but it's also very childlike because after the first few moves, she's just kind of winging it and just like spinning around. Oh, and just, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when the, the sax solo and she's just <laughs> spinning in a circle. So good. Yeah. And she just looks like a girl mimicking things that like were loosely taught to her.
1: Uh, Speaking of payoffs though, the 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 one that's just as good as that for me, and I laughed really hard because I'd forgotten, I told you, is the the payoff to the to the porn magazines.
0: Oh which... yeah, I was about to I was saving that for last. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh since we've covered all the you know, the other range of emotions that we went through with this, uh Dean Norris, uh Hank from Breaking Bad being the cop, who, like we said, was almost he was like acting in a Saturday Night Live skit pretty much. <laughs> His, <laughs> he's like fucking licking his lips while he's looking at those porn magazines. And the best part is, we we get these like long shots of in the van where everyone's looking forward, and you just you got a you got a cute family, you know, a <laughs> little bit of this on the side.
1: Uh, Kneers, what did he say? It's like, huh? Or yep when they, when they get to the gate, yeah. porn magazine. It was like a dude no, on the he cover. Said, he <laughs> goes,
0: you know, something a little different. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> and there's this shot of Canary's like biting his bottom lip and then just raises his eyebrows at <laughs> and Hank. And, and he just looks so detested and hands it back to him. Move along. <laughs> it's again, in a lesser movie, it would seem so forced and tried. But man, yeah, if it seems like I'm just absolutely glowing about this movie, it's because uh, I told Julio... Sometimes we'll do movies, and I'm sure you can find an episode where I've mentioned this. We'll revisit something I haven't seen in several years, and I'll be worried that I'm not going to like it as much as I did before, or I'll find something to not like about it. And that does happen from time to time. Uh, it's pretty rare I walk away from a movie liking it more than I even remembered me liking it, and this is definitely one of those. That just It's a movie that it's so fragile, and that one wrong step could kind of unravel or make everything fall apart, but it pulls it off almost flawlessly. Yeah,
1: I mean, now that we're not in Contreras Corner, I just love how they handle the the really emotional stuff and then just throw you into something that's really funny right after. And that's, I mean, that's, uh, it feels a lot more like real life. I mean, now that we're in real talk, it's just, yeah, that that makes sense. You have like something really stressful and then something really tragic and then something really ha- funny happens. And, you know, I totally buy that Corel, in the middle of his funk would be like, yeah, I'll go buy a, a porno mag and yeah.
0: <laughs> a, a blue slushy. And then in the end, that whole thing of sometimes there's nothing you can do but laugh. That's kind of like yeah. you know, what I appreciate about the closing sequence there.
1: Now, uh, as a road movie, how does this fare?
0: So they don't do – they do the one truck stop and they have the one um,
1: – So they, they hit a gas station. So yeah. that's, that's a thing. Uh, not a lot of music being played. In the van, you have the, I guess what you would call the Little Miss Sunshine theme
0: yeah, throughout the movie. Vodka with the score. And, um, I mean, the biggest thing is there's not much change of scenery, but, you know, the southeast, there's only so much you can do. Uh, uh, what I originally read, or what I read was originally supposed to happen was it was supposed to be an East Coast road trip movie from Maryland to Florida, but it was shifted due to just shooting issues. I imagine in the Southeast, you can make a lot more places look the same than, <laughs> you know.
1: Uh, I guess they don't hit any any major landmarks. Uh,
0: There's no uh, Barbra Streisand insisting that they stop and eat a 72-ounce steak.
1: No. There's uh, I mean, they hit just that motel. He goes to uh, Scarsdale. That's the one city, I think, that gets mentioned yeah. other than Redondo Beach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the most memorable thing about the road trip is the vehicle.
0: Yeah. But the, also the feeling that it was an actual journey. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you, there is a lot of traveling shots, and it does feel like they cover a distance. But, yeah, their their van certainly has – it's very distinctive. They, yeah. The, they have to push it, and then later they, they honk, they get stuck, and <laughs> –
0: Yeah, the horn just there is that all like to just kind of wrap things down about how incredible Greg Kinnear is in this. They're driving on the freeway and the horn is just you know acting up, and this car honks back at him, and he does he doesn't even say anything, but he does this whole miming thing where he's doing the slashing thing to his throat and saying it's not me, it's the horn. God, God bless Greg Kinnear in this movie. Uh, But you know any of the actual road trip tropes that we may have been left longing for. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be satiated with our next episode, which is uh, the incomparable Britney Spears and Crossroads, which if I remember off the top of my head is like somewhere between like 11 and 14 percent.
1: I mean, we're hoping because neither of us has seen it. So I remember uh, seventh, I don't even know if
0: it's a road movie. Seventh or eighth grade, Alex. There's a scene in it where Britney Spears is in like a tank top in her panties. And that was, you know.
1: It was a selling point. That was
0: a, a pretty significant development for a, a young Alex. So, and Dan Aykroyd's her dad. So, where can we go wrong? The only thing
1: I know for sure is that
0: there's nothing's be, for sure.
1: Well, I'm assuming if it's a road trip, at some point they're going to stop and they're going to do karaoke because you have Britney Spears there, and so she has to sing.
0: I'm very excited. That'll be our next episode. <laughs> Winding down here, as always, with our plugs, first and foremost, the Festive Years, the FestiveYears.com. They do provide our opening and closing tracks, our opening, last stand, closing summer of 1999, our logo. Our logo from Hans Rothgeiser, who, I don't mean to cut you off, but I watched your appearance on his show, and yes. I can pick up every, about every four words or so. And That's
1: impressive. That's more than I would have expected.
0: Yeah. and You
1: picked up Julio, Contrarians.
0: <laughs> Hans Roth Geezer, <laughs> Pollicula. Uh, no, that that whole thing. I was watching that. It, it like I was showing it to my parents, and they're like, "Is that like today in Peru?" Like there. <laughs> uh, so it was. It, it's more like The Late Show, maybe. But so like well produced, and just seeing you on there talking about our podcast was surreal for me, and I thought that was fucking awesome. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: it it was fun. He, uh, when he found out that I was, uh, that I was going, so he found out that I was going to be in Peru like a week before I was there. So, uh, he was like, Oh, do you want to come in? So it was just,
0: it was so quickly Serendipitous. planned.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. I got to sit there and, you know, I just watched them record their, their segments. And, uh, and then they invited me over and it was just, it was fun. I got to plug the show. So, so now, and I, we've mentioned it before. So they have their podcast called mm-hmm. Nacion Combi and, uh, but they also just broadcast it basically. And, uh, and so you can either listen to it, find it on iTunes, any podcatcher, or you can watch it. We have the link there, uh, on the show notes. Uh, so if you want to watch the video, you know, they have a Facebook page where they broadcast the video and, uh, and then he also has a webpage, Mil Demonios. Uh, that's his handle on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I L-D E M O N I O S, uh, mildemonios.pe. That's where he uh he has his uh, uh all his writings and then if you want to hear him speak uh English he also has a, a podcast on iVox called Living in Peru uh which is about living in Peru if you're an immigrant. Uh but anyway yeah really talented guy he does comics he has logos just hit him up if you want any of that action
0: my plug is the new Child's Play. Fucking rules. So go see that. It. Uh, I, Eddie already gave me shit about it. He would. Yeah, my well, my constant outcry for original film material, which is it's a fair point. At the same time, with the uh, you know the whole slasher icon era: Chucky, Freddy, Jason, Michael, Leatherface. It's if you don't know by now, it's pretty clear that I have a really strong sentimental attachment to all that stuff. So I'm gonna willingly engage in that. And Child's Play had been a long time since we had an, like an original attempt at it. And the story is, it was like an actual attempt at making something different. Yeah, we're basing it off of the source material from previously, but like uh Chucky is like an iHome. He links together your cell phone, your like your tablets, all that shit. At the same time, too, it's not like the original child's play where this crazy serial killer possesses the doll. It's I don't want to spoil it too much. Cause I do want Julio to enjoy it at the same time. All the shit he does is like learned behavior. Uh-huh. So it, uh, Mark Hamill's great. Aubrey Plaza. I, I did see some like, uh, reviews that were like a bit condescending about her performance. Like it seems,
1: is me, she, is she playing all, uh, Aubrey Plaza. She's or? not
0: April from, Parks okay. and Rec, which is what some people were implying, was basically she was just like, you know, her sarcastic self if she had to be in a slasher movie, which the problem is being like she is, it's kind of like uh, John Krasinski, it took him doing shit like A Quiet Place or um that war movie he did for people to be like, oh, he can do other stuff, uh, and unfortunately, Aubrey Plaza has an uphill battle where she's so good at this sarcastic thing of like, when she's just trying to play, like, this innocent mom-like character. People are always like, oh, no, it's just her being her sarcastic (laughs) self. And I thought that movie was fucking fantastic. I I really can't say enough good things about it. Uh, Hit that sweet spot. Wasn't over an hour and 45 minutes. So, you know, uh, that would definitely be my plug. I watched... Would you
1: say that you like it better than the original?
0: No, but that's... It's it's not the point. You can't really compare those. It's, um... (laughs) It's like saying, no, it's not like saying, I was watching, it's like saying, do you like Rob Zombie's Halloween better? It's like, no, because that movie fucking sucks. <laughs> it took me 10 years to learn that, but that movie's awful. Um, but this actually tries something different. The main thing is the Chucky doll at some points is clearly CGI. And one of the things that made the doll in the original to this day so terrifying is that it was all practical. Uh-huh. Like the animatronic face. And the little boots like kicking in the background when it's trying to strangle somebody. Um, aside from that, I, I've rewatched a ton of, I've watched like nine movies over the weekend, just out of boredom. Uh, The Strangers is a lot better than I remembered, uh, you know, on the horror movie front. Life of Pi is a, a fun movie to watch. Uh, Ang Lee won best director for that. I was looking that up when I yep. saw that. in... I don't know about that, but... Yeah, I I
1: remember being disappointed. I don't remember who was my candidate.
0: Visually, it's incredible, but at at the same time, it's not like I... It wasn't like there was a Greg Kinnear-level-inspired performance in that. (laughs) So, point being, I'm going on all these wrestling trips this summer, so I'm trying to, like, separate myself from all that and just watch movies and all this shit that I can in the meantime. So, uh, until the next season of Dead to You or Dead to Me starts up, then go watch child's play it rules
1: <laughs> what's what's your score for child's
0: play that'd be like a b plus
1: okay and because we didn't do it what's your score for a uh, little Miss sunshine
0: uh a solid a
1: yeah i give it five stars
0: yeah there's there's not that intangible where i can say a plus M- maybe it's just this weird thing mentally that i know it was the same year the departed came out and the departed's an a plus so you can't give two movies an A-plus in the same year.
1: Yes, you can.
0: <laughs> it's great. I, there's no level at which I don't think it succeeds, and not any reason I wouldn't recommend it to anybody.
1: Um, my plug is the show that I just found out was canceled today. So what I was going to say... Mash. Uh, <laughs> starring Alan Arkin. Uh uh that's okay. Instead of telling you, hey, watch this because it's great, I'm gonna say, hey, uh, watch this and and see if you can get it back on uh on circulation. Maybe Netflix or Hulu will pick it up. Uh, it's called Life in Pieces, and there's like three seasons out. Uh it was very timely because in our last stop on this road trip, our first stop on the guild trip, we uh we mentioned how awesome Colin Hanks was in his two minutes on screen. Uh Life in Pieces has Colin Hanks as one of the main players there. Uh, it's basically it's it's pretty cool. Every episode is uh, basically an anthology of short stories, four short stories, all revolving around a big family. And so it's uh, four couples. You have uh, the parents or the grandparents at this point, which is uh, your favorite Diane Weist
0: nice. and
1: uh, not Josh Brolin, but the other Brolin that's older. I don't know if it's James James Brolin. No. Uh, and then they have their kids. So Lance Brolin. <laughs> Jorge Brolin. <laughs> the half brother. Uh so their kids are Colin Hanks, uh Marie from Breaking Bad, and uh, Thomas Sudotsky from you know uh from Loser. Mm. Remember the, the the main player in Loser that that our big uh embry candidate and uh and they have their, their, so Marie is married to, uh, you've watched Veep. I don't know if you remember, there's a congressman in Veep that's just fucking filthy and has his manservant that he's always like bullying.
0: Maybe it's been a while since I, it's been a few years since well, I watched feet.
1: That guy is married to Marie and he's playing a completely different character. He's a doctor that's just like, he's a guy that's constantly trying to get in with the brothers because he admires them and he's, and he's a dork. Uh, Colin Hanks is married to this really, really funny actress. I don't remember her, her name, but she's my favorite character. Uh, and then, uh, and then Thomas Sadovsky is dating like this, this single mom and, uh, it's, it's really funny. So every, sh- every show, it has four stories revolving around them and it's broken down as like little short films. So it starts story one and it gives you a title and it's about like some of those characters and then story two, three and four. And sometimes there's some like, like little relations between the stories and sometimes there, there aren't. And sometimes they're like little jokes that they drop and then they'll pick up like episodes later. It's, it's really funny and it's really clever and. And damn it. Now it got canceled. <laughs> if you have a, it's, I remember the, the network. Which, what we do is, uh, Kelly, she buys the seasons complete on like Amazon. Mm-hmm. So she just watches them on Amazon Prime. And, uh, was it
0: on stars like Magic City? No, uh.
1: <laughs> no, it's like an actual network. Uh,
0: just burying stars. <laughs>
1: well, no, you like, like a regular network, not a no, premium no, network. Exactly. No, like, not a cable network. Zoe Lister Jones is the, the woman that plays the, uh calling Hank's wife and she is so fucking funny i she's great uh dan baccall is the guy from veep and then uh, uh angelique Cabral is uh, uh thomas Sadowski's girlfriend but anyway they're they're just great they're, they're and in, in the stories are so short that you can even, like, you don't even have to watch, like, a full episode. You can watch, like, one of the stories and then just, like, fuck off and then come back later. <laughs> it's the maddest rule. Also, under 30 minutes every episode. Money. Yeah. There you there, go. There, there's no reason for you not to watch it <laughs> uh, unless you run out of episodes because apparently they're not making anymore.
0: There you go. That does it for Little Miss Sunshine. That does it for the latest stop on the Contrarian Summer Road Trip. Uh, next stop will be the incomparable Miss Britney Spears and Crossroads leading us. All the way down to almost famous, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So,
1: oh, I forgot. Did you know what uh, Michael Arendt
0: said when he got the Oscar? What's that?
1: He said, "Aren't I great?"
0: <laughs> Jesus.
1: Thank you, Brandon Curtis.
0: <laughs> and editing that out. <laughs> we do appreciate y'all as always tuning into the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will see you at the crossroads. I'm going